I'm Sarah Glover, WHYY's VP of News and Civic Dialogue. In Young, Unhoused, and Unseen, we explore youth homelessness and Gen Z, its root causes, and solutions. We practice empathy and center community voices in our reporting with Temple University's Logan Center for Urban Investigative Reporting. Thank you for taking this journey with us as we examine the issues. Content warning. This episode contains descriptions of trauma, drug addiction, self-harm, suicide, and abuse. So DJ, how long have you been living in Forget-Me-Not? Going on like five days, I think. DJ is 17 years old. He's a big guy, 6'5", 280 pounds. He sort of looks like a football player, but has more of a teddy bear vibe. What brought you here? Uh, my mom was going through uh, an addiction, and uh, we, you know, she kind of up and left me. So uh, I reached out to uh, DHS, and they, you know, since of my age, not really many people want me at my age. So this is where I came. Forget Me Not Children and Youth Services is a group home in North Philadelphia that offers a space safe for teens. They support them in transitioning to more permanent housing. So when you say your mom up and left you, what happened? I had money in my wallet. Uh, she asked me for some. I told her no. Uh, I usually always like assist her with her habit, despite me really not wanting to. So I woke up the next morning, both my key card and about $150 out of my wallet was missing, and she was gone. Uh, three days went by. I reached out to my aunt. Uh, she came to pick me up and took me down to DHS. They helped me, you know, they, they just, I, I explained to them what happened. They said, what would you rather be doing? Uh, I said, I really don't care. I just want to, you know, I don't want to be held back anymore. And uh, so they said they were looking for placement for me. But because my age and my size, not many people want me. Um, so they put me here. How's it been so far? Oh, it's been amazing. Everyone here is really, really helpful, really nice. Uh, I I mean, I, I made a bunch of friends since being here. All the staff are really chill. Everyone here has been so welcoming. I'm Yvonne Laddie, the director of Temple University Klein College's Logan Center for Urban Investigative Reporting. And I'm Kenny Cooper, a reporter at WHYY News. And this is Young, Unhoused, and Unseen, a podcast that looks at what Philadelphians see and unsee every day. Homeless young people. This is episode three, Forget-Me-Not. According to the city in 2020, there were 617 young people living in residential placements, which includes group homes. Most are between the ages of 13 and 18. Many are fleeing abusive parents, struggling to find foster home placements, or have been in the foster care system all their lives. They've bounced from home to home and now just need their own place. They can live in a group home for weeks, a few months, a year, or in some cases longer. Group homes are mostly transitional, an escape from despair, a chance to improve their young lives. Because what brought them here can make even the strongest adult unravel. I've been in the system like most of my life. Uh, since like four, I was placed in foster care. And that only lasted until I was about six because of my behavioral issues. Uh, no family could keep me because I never really understood like why. I just thought everyone wanted to keep me away from my parents. 
so from like six to like nine i was in residentials and then when my dad got me i thought things would be different but not really he has very horrible anger issues and he just learned to take it out on me like i was his own punches bag that's dj again his father was in prison for eight years and when he came home he took dj out of foster care and brought him to live in his home we got into uh a bunch of disputes. He put hands on me a lot, and uh, my my best friend's parents called the cops on him, and he got arrested, and he was two years on parole, so he did nine months in prison again. The time with his father filled DJ with so much frustration and pain, he turned to self-harm to cope. I went through like a stage of self-harming where, uh, you know, it took, it took uh, you know, it took a lot of people to tell me that it wasn't the way to get through it. So uh, after I realized, like after I realized that what I like, I was tired of like covering up my arms all the time, and just walking around like being ashamed of what I had and what I was doing. I was just I thought it was time to stop. So I surrounded myself by people who made me happy and made me want to do other things. How old were you when you were doing that? I think I started about like once I got with my dad, so about like the age of ten. Um, and it just kind of been like, it was just a through and through thing. It was like cutting, right? Yeah, I did a lot of cutting. Sometimes I really think like, like people would be better off if I wasn't around. But then, you know, I think like I have, I'm still young. I have a future ahead of me. I can always change how my life has been. And I can make it better. So that kind of just kept me going. And people that I surround myself with as well, like the people here are just like, they're amazing. They make like, you. when I first came here, I thought I was going to be hella depressed. And uh, I haven't been. I've been like, I come out my room every day and I'm just like, I'm excited to be here. Like, despite it being a shelter, I'm, I'm excited to be here. DJ's mom is a regular at the Kensington and Allegheny open air drug market. When I was in placement a couple of times, um, I heard that she was clean for a time and then relapsed. And, um, you know, I told her that, uh, that, and she said it was due to like a whole bunch of pain and everything, and I just told her I was like, you know, you can't you can't let drugs control your life, and you can't take the easy way out of the pain because I've been dealing with it all my life, and that's you've been the cause. Her substance abuse has left her son with anger issues and behavioral problems that he is working to overcome. I had a very short fuse, and uh, it usually like it, it take nothing for me to get physical with someone. And that lent, that landed me in uh, juvie for a little bit of time. And, uh, like, I don't like being aggressive. I don't like being mean. I, I, I'm not that type of guy. Um, and the more, like, as I got older, I realized that this isn't who I want to be. Like, I don't want to end up like my father and be in jail for multiple years. Like, I, I don't want to do that. DJ wants to go back to school. He wants to be a Marine. He's channeling the pain his depression has caused him into boxing. After spending years surrounded by violence, he knows that he can be happy and that he controls his tomorrows. Like, a lot of kids who go through what I've went through have assumed that their life was over and their life was doomed because of, like, you know, their parents not being there or them being bounced around. But I know firsthand that you could always control your future. Like, you could always change the outcome 
of things, you know, because I, I like I know it firsthand. Like I've been in juvie, I have a bunch of behavioral issues, or I had, and it took a lot for me to understand what I was doing was wrong, you know. But just be grateful for the people you have in your life. Be grateful for the people who are willing to op- open their homes and just lend a helping hand to you. So you have a you have a lot of hope. Yeah, yeah, I do. Forget Me Not is housed in two side-by-side, nondescript row homes in North Philly, near the Temple University campus. Frankly, it looks like the off-campus housing that stands on nearly every street in that area. But inside the main entrance is a long hallway that leads to a big communal kitchen, where music plays, meals are cooked, and staff treat the residents like family. Upstairs are bedrooms, which are either shared or individual. The teens are allowed to decorate and make the space their own. The CEO and founder of Forget Me Not is Mecca Robinson. She wears a black abaya, traditional Muslim clothing, and swirls around the space with a smile and ease. She says she has been helping young people for over 30 years. Forget Me Not uh, Children and Youth Services is a shelter um, for young people between the ages of 12 to 21 years old. Um, We do service... um, Males and females in transgender youth, LGBTQ community as well. We're home away from home. We're more of the home that a lot of our young people say they didn't get when they were with their biological families. The 30 young residents get home-cooked meals, life skills, and mentoring. The staff takes them to doctor's appointments and on fun trips like to Wildwood and Broadway shows. Mecca says the staff give them love and support and are always there for them after they move on. We're that parent that a lot of our children don't have, that may have lost both parents or they just feel like they don't have no parents, whether their parents is alive or, or, or deceased. Um, we are community-based. We do a lot of things with a lot of different um, 501c3 uh, organizations, and we're just out there. We just want to help. What drives you to do this work? Um, I think because my background, my story, I was a teen mother, so and a homeless teen mother. So I think that's where a lot of my passion come in from, because I got a story. I still struggle with that piece, because I'm still healing from that. Mecca says Forget Me Not is seeing the effects of the city's gun violence epidemic. Much of it is coming from communities these young people have lived in. So you're saying that the gun violence that the city's experiencing, the epidemic, is driving some of this youth homelessness? I believe so. I honestly, truthfully believe so. So we try to address it as soon as we get it. Honestly, I would say that a lot of the, a lot of the gun violence that happens is because they really don't have nobody loving on them. In their kitchen, there's the funeral home program for 18-year-old Kwasir Johnson, a former resident of Forget Me Not, who was murdered in 2022. So what gun prevention programs or support are you offering here? Basically, love. That's it. And show them that you care. Support them. You got to support these children. If they're asking you for money, and asking you to help them make money, get them a job. Teach them soft skills. Help them uh, know how to do a resume and know how to uh, sit in front and interview. You have to teach these children this. 
And that's all we do. Go up to the schools, introduce yourself, let them know, like, I'm the support. I had a, a conversation with a principal today, and she raved about one of my boys. And it shocked me because I'm used to getting calls when the children are doing something bad. So now that I'm getting a call from a principal saying that my young man is doing well, it made me smile. So that's all it is. So basically, what you're giving them here is hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I love them. And I want to show them that it is people out here that really care. My name is Alexis Pope, and I am 18 years old. Hi, Alexis. Tell me how you came to live in Forget-Me-Not. Oh, I'm not Forget-Me-Not because both my parents are deceased. Uh, I've been in the system since I was a baby. As a foster child, Alexis is eligible for benefits, like health insurance, until she's 21. I chose Forget-Me-Not because it's really homey, and I like the benefits that come with it, and I like... Like, they, they, like, tell you all the rules. So both of your parents are deceased, right? Yes, ma'am. And how old were you when they passed? Um, I was five when my dad passed away, and my mom just passed away on December 18th, so I was 17. But you didn't live with your mom? No, I haven't lived with my mom since I was young, but she was always in my life. And But when my dad passed away, my dad was incarcerated when he passed away, so I was only seeing him through visitations. How long were you in the system for, in foster care? 18 years. So since birth? Mm-hmm. Two weeks old. And what was what was that like? Um, It was really hard. I wouldn't lie to nobody. It's not easy. Both my parents were drug addicts, and I got older siblings who also, they would they tell me all the time that they wish they were in foster care. And how many foster care homes were you in? No, it was like... Like over 20. It's definitely very difficult because you feel like everybody's steering your life and you have no direction over your life. And everybody's everybody's like, oh, we're going to place you here because of this. But I don't, it, it, I always felt when I was younger, especially like, like 12, 13, that nobody had my best interest. They're just doing what they have to do by the laws. And I, that was always my biggest struggle. She says she has always preferred group home settings and the companionship of young people living together with the same struggles. Group homes and shelters are way more therapeutic because you can talk to the other kids. We're all going through the same thing. We're all, we all have the end goal to, you know, one day have our own family and, and never have to put our kids through this. We all understand how hard our birthdays are, so we all come together and make sure each and everybody's birthdays are the best it could possibly be. The first days of school, every little accomplishment we make really big because we all understand. Alexis has her own room in Forget-Me-Not. There's a bed, a rack to hang up her clothes, and affirming words spray-painted in purple on the white wall that reads, I can and I will. Her high school diploma hangs on the wall. She says she graduated with a 3.9 GPA. Alexis says she'll be attending Temple University in the spring to study business. She wants to be an accountant and someday have her own tax firm. I love school. I had a really good GPA, and I love sports, so I always use those two as my outlets for everything. There's a lot of hardships, you know, like the 
emotions are always there for birthdays and Christmases, but as years go on and you you know when they're gonna come, so you just know how to deal with them when they come. But it's never easy. Um, but I wouldn't like I I wouldn't want any other life. Like at the end of the day, foster care it was better than living with both my parents. There's an image of what a foster care child looks like: disheveled, rude, a bully, a quote bad kid. Alexis says not only is that a lie. But those stereotypes are harmful. There's no face to foster care or underplay my situation because the way I carry myself, they don't ever think that when I, if I'm having a bad day, like life can't be that horrible because I still, the way I dress or my hair is always done. And then when people find out my story, they be like, dang, you carry yourself so good, but how am I supposed to carry myself? Am I supposed to be walking around crying all day with my, with my head down? There's no face to it. Another thing is always treat Treat the kids like if it was your own kid. Um, me and my friends, my whole friend group that I have right now at 18, I met all when I was like 13 or 14 I, in, in different group homes. We all come together. Um, we're And all of them are in college. I'm the youngest at the friend group, but we always say all the time, treat us like we're your own kids. She says having a smile each day helps a lot. I hate the outlook that people have on foster care kids, but that we have to be sad. That we have, I hate that. I... I'm always smiling. My everybody call me smiley. I'm always smiling. I wake up smiling. I go to sleep smiling. And I just want to be better than everybody. I want to be better than my mama, my dad, my brothers, my sister. It's not hard to push yourself. For Alexis, there have been benefits to foster care. We get free college, 13 different colleges in Pennsylvania. Completely free, not one penny. I love school my whole life. I've always loved it. I've always loved school. Always been good at school. Never struggled with my grades, never struggled with homework, never. Thank God. That's, but that's, that's a blessing. That's a blessing because I've been through a lot. This is Alexis's vision of her future self. My dream is to have generational wealth. I don't just want my life to be good. I want my kids' life to be good. I want their kids' lives to be good. But like I, like I said, I've been through a lot. Everybody got a story. Everybody got a story. And for my story, I feel like it could have been stopped generations ago. Both her parents had upbringings filled with poverty and rejections. Her father was an orphan who was on his own at 13. So I feel like even if he was to be able to find a good foster home or if his parents were good parents, it could have, generations ago, it could, have, it could have ended very, very good because at the end of the day, my life, my life is out or impacted by his, his parents' choices in life. Not just my dad's, not just my mom's. It's deeper than that. That's why I want, I want to create generational wealth so bad. And then I want to also just have, I, I'm going to be a boy mom so bad. I just want to love all my kids. Like, I can't wait, like, their birthdays. Because I don't want to celebrate my, celebrate my birthday at all. But for my kids, I always, like, whenever their birthdays, I'm going to go all out. For Christmases, I'm going to go all out. Easter, all out, everything. And that's where I see myself in a happy, happy, stable relationship, with a stable house, stable income, everything just stable. Mecca believes it's young people, like Alexis, that we need to listen to if we truly want to help these young people. They need to sit back and listen. See, we so busy dictating what we, the adults, believe that they need instead of sitting them at the table. When I walk in rooms, I walk in rooms with children. I don't walk in rooms by myself. Where other organizations and people who do similar work, they come 
to the table by themselves. I come with the children because I can't tell y'all what they need. They can tell you what they need or how it should go. And then we as the adults should say, you know what? That makes sense. Let's try to figure this out. This is why so much crime and gun violence going on in this age uh, population because nobody's really listening. The Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development recently awarded Philadelphia roughly $8.8 million to help fight youth and young adult homelessness. The application and report that followed was designed and written by homeless and formerly homeless young adults. The former director of the Office of Homeless Services, Liz Hirsch, praises that approach. One of the whole things about having youth leadership is to have the system not be a horrible thing, but to be a loving, caring thing that helps them achieve their goals. That's the vision, right? And you'll see this when you look at the plan. The idea is not to have a bunch of older adults wagging their fingers at young people. It's to help them articulate what they really want, what are their goals, what are their hopes and dreams, and how can we help them get that. Hirsch, who oversaw the grant process, says the plan was designed by people who clearly know what they need. They wanted a lot of services. Our adults are more like, you know, pick or choose what services they want. But the young people, they wanted job training. They wanted to be able to earn real money. They wanted mentorship. Um, They wanted uh, behavioral health and treatment. They wanted support. They wanted a place of their own to gather. In addition to having a place to live. They wanted all of these other things um, that ordinarily we provide, but not nearly as rich as what they wanted. It's very similar to what Mecca is trying to achieve with Forget Me Not, shelters that feel like home, staffed by loving adults who provide guidance and accountability, and a place where residents are more like siblings than roommates. But Mecca says in order for them to achieve these goals, they need funding, and it's hard to come by. Her work is not being funded by the HUD grant. Not enough support. We don't get enough support. We don't get enough tap-out time. Um, I think that we need more people to understand that untreated trauma is real. Our babies need us. They need people to really love up on them. Um, Funding. Funding is a big issue. Um, We don't have any... We don't get, like, private funders or grants and different things like that. We work for the contract. It's a fee for service. We provide the service, we bill out, then they pay us. That's how we get paid. So all the monies that we get is like that. And in majority of the time we spin out. We just came from Wildwood. We took all the young people to Wildwood. Tomorrow we're going to New York to go see the um, Michael Jackson uh, musical. So we do a whole bunch of stuff with them outside of what our contract ask us to do. She wants the kids to feel good, to feel normal, to feel like they belong when they are in school. And that costs money. We don't have like a nobody pouring in or sponsoring our kids with haircuts and hairdos and sneakers. We don't want our kids to have to go to school with no brand new sneakers or brand new haircuts or their hair done. We take them and take them to the professional, if it costs $300 to get her hair done, pay the $300. If it costs $45 to get his hair cut, pay the $45 to get their hair cut. We do it with all of them. So we might run up a tab, maybe $2,000 a month, on just haircuts and hairdos. 
The young folks at Forget Me Not look like any other teens. Rosalind stopped to talk to Kenny and I on her way to work. She's 17 and wears a wide brim cap, white t-shirt, and jeans. Every inch a typical, pretty stylish teenager. Oh no, I'm glad we, uh, <laughs> we got you in time. Yep, I'm actually supposed to be at work right now. Okay, how did you come to live here? Well, actually, I was on the streets for like a week and a half. And then I got, well, a female actually found me, asked me what was going on. And she decided to take me to the DHS building. And when you say you were on the streets for a week and a half, can you, like, tell us, like, how your journey? Yeah, like, how that so, happened? Me, I was adopted when I was two years old, and my sister and brother. And when I was when I was thirteen, uh, all like we moved into like a bad neighborhood, and that's when our family whole changed. And I didn't like how it was, so I ran away when I was sixteen. And ever since then, I've been here. What happened? Like what? It, what, what happened at our yeah, home? Yeah. Me and my parents had gotten into a fight. And they told me to leave. And so, well, they didn't tell it to my face. They was, like, yelling in the house saying they don't want me here no more. So I decided to leave. Then you were on the streets for a week and a half. And what was that like for you? It was it was stressful. I had no food, no water. Before I came here, I was 300 and something pounds, and I lost a lot of weight. And now I'm 100 and something, something. I don't know. Um. And now, ever since then, I play, well, I have my own jewelry business. I play ice hockey, and I'm, I'm a lifeguard at the YMCA. What do you dream about? You know, what, what, what would you like? What in the would future? You say yeah, in the future. When I was younger, I wanted to be a doctor, but then when I got older, I changed my mind and turned, like, thinking about fashion, design, and uh, hockey. Rosalind has been at Forget-Me-Not for a year and wants to stay until she can get her own apartment. So is, is that your goal, to get your own place more than going back to your parents? Yeah, well, because my parents, they was like, if I don't, like, get along with them, they don't think I'm going to be able to come back. So I was like, let me just get myself ready just to get an apartment before I age out of here. That's why I've been working and stuff. What would you tell kids your age who might be in a similar situation? Um, look towards the future. Don't think about the past. Your bad past. I mean, like, what happened in the past that was bad? Because you know you can't bring it or well, take it back. Got that off the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> Young, Unhoused, and Unseen is a production of WHYY News and Temple University Klein College's Logan Center for Urban Investigative Reporting. I'm Yvonne Laddie, co-host, senior producer, and the director of Temple's Logan Center. And I'm Kenny Cooper, co-host, producer, and a reporter at WHYY. Our executive producer is Sarah Glover, WHYY's VP of News and Civic Dialogue. Our editors are Jordan Gaspare and Jamila Bay. Music by Drew Levine. Our engineer is Al Banks. Colin Evans is our data editor. Our production assistants are Allison Beck, 
and Natalie Wrights. Funding for this podcast has been provided by WHYY, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and Temple University's Klein College of Media and Communication. Additional production support was given by Jim McMillan. Special thanks to the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation, Forgive Me Not Children and Youth Services, the Housing Narrative Lab, and Alexis Pope, DJ, and Rosalind, who shared their stories. Please rate and review wherever you are listening. And hit us up on social. We want to hear from you. Check out our stories on homelessness and the housing crisis in the Philadelphia region on whyy.org. Please join us in this conversation. And thanks for listening.